So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about some big picture stuff, and uh, which is pretty important. If we don't fit into where we're supposed to be in the big picture, then the small picture stuff doesn't work very well. Okay, and, and you'll find out the older that you get, the more, the more natural it is for you to see big picture. You won't just be concerned about your life and how comfortable you are right now, but you'll start being concerned about the world you live in and future generations, and the picture gets bigger. At least it d does for me. The older I get, the bigger the picture gets, and the more I'm concerned I am about uh, how we're fitting into the big picture. But when we serve the Lord, there are indications that he gives us when we're in alignment with his purpose for us. Okay, if you're, if you're going through life, and life is just a constant struggle, constantly discouraged, constantly not able to, to, to meet your expectations and all of that, then there's something in your life that's out of alignment. It's, it's not, I'm not trying to accuse you condemn you or judge you. I'm telling you, you can get your life into alignment with God's purpose for your life so that life isn't always just a struggle and where you're not just beating your head against the wall all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about, beating your head against the wall? That's not God's plan for you. God's plan is for you to be able to grow, to mature, to prosper, and to be fruitful for him. Okay? And... Uh, Many Christians have been in pursuit of knowing the principles of the kingdom so that they can prosper. You probably know some of those. They're always just looking for principles to live by. And that's good. Um, you know, I, I look for principles that work. But that's not the central purpose that drives me, is looking for principles. I had a principal in school, and he wasn't always too good to me. Just kidding. Um, however, you can prosper because you observe kingdom principles, but not be blessed with the Lord's presence. In other words, you can, be, you can understand principles that lead to prosperity, and you can do all of that without his presence. And you can do all that living a life that he won't occupy. There's some things that he will bless, but he won't occupy. He'll bless them because it's the principles of his word, and when his word is honored, it works. But he doesn't occupy everything that he blesses. His presence is the greatest blessing, the greatest treasure that you will ever know. Exodus 33 14, Moses and God are having this conversation about Moses leading the people on after they fell in sin and, and worshiped the golden calf and did all of that. And so they were negotiating, and the Lord tells them, he says, my presence will go with you, in verse 14, and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Lord, if you're not going, I'm not going. I hope that's your heart. Lord, if you're not going to occupy my life, I'm not going that way. I want to live my life in such a way that your presence is with me. That's really the fullness of the new covenant. Emmanuel, God with us. 
his presence with us, us carrying the ark of his presence with us. We are a kingdom of priests who carry his presence with us. So this concept is true personally, corporately, nationally, when we're in alignment with the purpose of God for us. Uh, his presence occupies us. His blessing is all around us. So when we're doing what we're created for, we prosper. His presence is with us and he gives us rest. Or he leads us into realms of grace. To where he's actually doing the heavy lifting and we're just being obedient. I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough to figure out how to do everything right. I'm not. I've given up trying. Because I've got somebody who walks with me who is the wisdom of God. Who is able to lead me and direct me and give me all the understanding that I need to fit into his plan. So over the years we've gone through a pretty intense evolving process here at Freedom Fellowship. And uh, we're not the same as we were when we started. Somebody said praise God. Locally, we've had seasons of growth, and we've had seasons of shaking and pruning. You know, uh, every tree that the Lord plants, Scripture says he prunes it. When you raise fruit trees, you know, if you don't prune them, they never grow to their potential. Because the first crop is, is smaller and more imperfect, and the more it's pruned properly, it begins to yield fruit that is according to its potential. And, when, and uh, in Matthew 15, 13, Jesus said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. And sometimes it's kind of hard to tell the difference whether you're being uprooted and burned or whether you're going through a pruning process, because they both hurt. But if you're going through a pruning process, God is actually working on your behalf to make you more fruitful. To make your life more, be able to be more abundantly productive for his kingdom. So Freedom Fellowship has endured and the Lord's presence has grown because God planted this body. We, we planted it in obedience to him. We did it when he said to do it. And he's always had us on this journey of of growing and being shaken, being pruned, and then going through another seasons of growth. But we're different after we go through that season. So his presence is our greatest treasure. We have many other treasures, but his presence is our greatest one. And it's growing. It's intensifying. So while we're going through our battles here, I, we have been more and more involved in missions in South America. That's part of our big picture. And that has grown and prospered over these years. I knew I had an assignment there. I knew we had an assignment there. It became uh, a lot more easier for me to commit myself to that assignment when my wife came on board and, and, and was beside me because she now has the same heart for the Peruvian people that we do. And now the Lord's saying there's other fields that he's opening to us besides Peru. In fact, she had a dream last night that she woke up in the middle of the night and told me about that uh, sounds like there's a number of other things coming, coming her way. And, uh, 
And so we've been receiving these words recently that other doors are opening to us. And we know that's right because we've already been receiving invitations to other places. But it's part of what makes us strong here, accepting our call to reach nations. And when Scripture talks, uses the word nations in the New Testament, the Greek word is ethnos. It means tribes, ethnic groups. I call them tribes because we, uh, tribal people is, is actually easy to relate to in, the, in uh, mission fields and stuff where there's indigenous people, but every one of us comes from a tribe. So when the Scripture speaks of nations, it's talking about tribes. Every one of you has a tribe that you come from. In fact, this morning the Lord is ministering to me. The place where you were born, you have a special connection to. There's something that you have in relationship to the land where you were born. There's an authority that you have. There's something that connects you. You're, going to be, you're, you're probably going to tend, most of you, to be like a rabbit. You know, when you, when, you, uh, uh, when you chase a rabbit, dog chases a rabbit, the rabbit comes full circle, comes back where he started from. There's something about that pattern that they follow. We used to have a dog that was smart enough to figure that out. And he would cut across and ambush him on the way back. Um, but most of us have this thing where we tend to come full circle. Eventually, we come back where we came from, and God uses us there because there's a special connection that we have to the land there. We come from the earth, you know, in the place of our birth. Anyway, um, so our school is going to tap into that. We're raising workers for the harvest of nations in answer to the burden on Jesus' heart. Jesus said, pray for workers, for the harvest. And if we're to pray for workers for the harvest, it goes without saying that we should be involved in raising up workers for the harvest as well. We have to be willing. In other words, if we're not willing to be the answer to our own prayers, our prayers are not going to be very effective. Because most of the time, God has us participating in some way in the answer to our own prayers. So I'm going to... Circle around a little bit here. Genesis 49.1. Um, Jacob called his sons together just before he dies. And he said, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the latter days. So Jacob then prophesies over his 12 sons words that would be fulfilled in our times. And I believe that one major fulfillment of these words is the alignment of nations. Now, traditionally, the patriarch who Jacob was over 12 sons would have released two things to the oldest son. The preeminence, which means the, f the family leadership, the patriarchal role and a double portion of the inheritance. 
because he was going to have additional responsibilities. So he needed additional sustenance and additional provision to accomplish what he'd been assigned to. But in this case, Jacob departed from tradition. He rejected the three oldest sons from both of those things because they had violated covenant and had demonstrated a level of cruelty that Jacob rejected as representative of his family. And when he got to the third son, his name was Judah, he said, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children will bow down before you. Judah's a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And so Jacob blesses Judah with preeminence and a promise that the Messiah would come from his lineage. And we know that Jesus came from the line of, the line of Judah, the bloodline of Judah. But Judah, I believe, is also a prophetic picture of the nation of Israel. And its place among the nations. Now, you know, when I was, I was in Israel a few years ago, and it always kind of baffled me why God would bless his people with this tiny little piece of real estate. I know it. Historically, it was bigger than it is now. But, but this tiny piece of real estate, why wouldn't he bless it with a, a vast nation like, you know, United States or something? And, and, uh, but Israel is a prophetic nation. And I realized when I was in Israel that he put his son in the place of greatest influence on the planet. Where Jesus grew up was exactly at the crossroads of the nations. Feel that? He put him at the place the nations intersected by his house. The nations of the world came by Jesus' place of residence in Galilee. The way of the sea went right by where he lived. And so he... Didn't put him in the biggest piece of land, but he put him in the place of greatest influence. The crossroads of the nations. He put him at the crossroads or the intersection of history. And he put him at the intersection of heaven and earth. On the cross. It's a powerful prophetic picture. And Israel has literally been used to release prophetic destiny to nations from its inception. In Genesis 48, Jacob had already given a double portion to Joseph. You'll read that in the, if you go back a chapter, you'll read where Joseph brought his two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, 
to Jacob so that he would bless them before he died. And he put, he put uh, Manasseh under Jacob's right hand because the right hand signifies the, the place of greatest blessing. And Jacob, even though his eyes were dim, crossed his hands, put his right hand on Ephraim, the younger one, and his left one on Manasseh. And Joseph tried to correct him. said, no, 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 no. You, you, you got your right hand on the youngest. He said, I know. He's going to be greater than the older one. Ephraim became the leading tribe of the northern nation of Israel after it separated. And, and so literally, when you read through Genesis 48, Jacob adopted Joseph's sons as his own. And gave them an equal portion with his own sons. So Joseph got the double portion. Each of his sons got an equal portion of the inheritance. Which works out in the 12 tribes in the land distribution. Because there were still 12 land-owning tribes. Because the Levites didn't inherit land. They lived in the cities. The priestly tribe. That's a lot of information if you want to research that. There's a lot of that, a lot to chew on there. That's not my purpose. I just want to throw it out there. Um, but, but Joseph actually became two tribes. And then Jacob gives Joseph this astounding prophecy, in, in, starting in verse 22 of Genesis 49. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. And so he gives this amazing prophecy over Judah, and then he gives this amazing prophecy over Joseph. The one who got the double portion. What does that mean? Since he's prophesying to the latter days. It's clear to me, if you accept that these brothers are a picture of nations aligning to God's purpose, that there's a special assignment on Joseph. Joseph had a special place in his father's heart. Joseph was given a coat of many colors. I believe Joseph is a picture of America, a melting pot of nations, many colors and tribes, that has a special assignment from God in the latter days. And as Israel is a prophetic nation, America is an apostolic nation. We have an assignment to take the gospel of the kingdom to nations. My understanding is that when you see a double portion in scripture, it's often a glimpse of the apostolic. There's been some stuff going on here recently where the Lord's been giving us signs about double portion. And I believe 
that it's pointing to that for us, that we have an apostolic assignment to nations. I believe the birth of this school ties right into that. I believe the, the, uh, the more that we commit ourselves to that, the more the presence of God and the blessing of God is going to intensify here. I believe it's not only tying into our assignment as a, as a body and as a movement, it's tying into the assignment that's on our nation. Our nation is the most generous nation in the world, has sent out more missionaries to the nations, but I believe that there's a rebirthing that's happening to the body of Christ in America right now, and we're being birthed into an apostolic reality. If you want a picture of, of the double portion, Elijah. The Lord was just really kept downloading on me about Elijah and how he went into the tomb or into the cave. It was a picture of the tomb. And, and, uh, and when he came back out, Elisha emerged. From Elijah to Elisha. Elisha had, was, had a double portion of Elijah. It's a picture of Abram becoming Abraham, Sarai becoming Sarah, uh, Elijah becoming Elisha, the one with a double portion, the one who Scripture records twice the miracles that Elisha did than, Eli than Elijah. And I believe it's a picture of the apostolic giving birth to the, or the prophetic giving birth to the apostolic. I believe that Israel is a prophetic nation, a nation blessed by God to prophetically release to nations blessing or cursing, locusts or honey. I believe that the covenant that God made to Abraham is still in effect. Nations that bless Israel are blessed. Nations that curse Israel are cursed. I'm not, going, I'm not saying we should go around cursing anybody or anything. What I'm saying is that it's still in effect. You can still see nations being blessed or cursed based on their relationship with Israel to this day. But I believe America is an apostolic nation. And I believe that we are favored by God like Joseph was. Who loves, and the, because the Lord loves freedom as we do. America is, the, the heart of the American people love freedom. And the heart of the kingdom of God is about freedom. It's a kingdom value as it is an American value. It's, it's not, we weren't smart enough to figure that out. God put it in us because he birthed us as a nation. Imperfect, though, you know, none of you have ever had a perfect baby. I'm sorry to tell you that. I know they look perfect to you, but they're smelly and noisy and sticky. But they grow in grace. And, and America was that way when we were born. We were noisy and smelly and sticky and... We had, we had plenty of issues, but we were birthed for a powerful, redemptive purpose among nations. And it's to take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth. And, and whenever we align to the, with that, you can just see the blessing of God begin to be released. I was at a conference years ago where a guy came up and showed a, a graph that, that, uh, of 
through the years from, I don't know what it was, 19, early 1900s sometime, the, the stock market, the rise and the fall of the stock market. And then he brought another graph out that showed the number of missionaries that, God, that America was sending out all of those years, laid it on top, and it almost perfectly lined up. It's our destiny as a nation. The more we align with God's purpose for our nation, the more we're blessed. The more we align with God's purpose as a church, we're blessed. The more that you align with God's purpose individually, you're blessed. And America is called to take the gospel to the nations. And the more we send out our missionaries, the more the stock market prospered over the years. It's phenomenal. Because we've connected to our assignment as a church and recognize our national assignment, God is blessing us with his presence. The school is going to take that to another level because it connects to God's purpose for us as a church and as a nation. As long as that remains the central purpose of the school, I believe it's going to be blessed and occupied by the presence of God in phenomenal ways. We are raising up harvesters for the nations. Now, some of those nations might be right here. Some of those tribes might be right here among us. But we need to be willing to take the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth, wherever God sends us. Because the river that flows out of God's house flows to the ends of the earth. And it brings life everywhere that it goes. We're not going out there to make clones of ourselves. One of the things that we've recognized that God really blesses us in Peru is because we're not there to clone people and make them like us. We're there to honor the tribes that they come from and allow the treasure that's already in that tribe to be released and to come into full flu, full flu, full flu, well, that's a tongue twister, full fruition there. I'm not, I don't usually stumble over words, but that one was rough. To allow the treasure in every tribe to come forth. And there's so much treasure there. We, we saw it from the first time we went. But we, we really didn't know how to mine it out right out of the chute. We, we learned as we went and just listened to the Lord and obeyed the Lord. And I found out that's one of the easiest ways to be a pioneer is just to obey the Lord. You don't have to figure it all out. and You don't have to know it ahead of time. You'll look back and say, oh, my goodness. Did you see what God just did? That was amazing. And then God begins to give you understanding on why that happened the way that it did. Right now, the enemy would love to destroy America. The last major bastion of freedom for the world. I didn't say it's the last free place. I said the last major bastion of freedom. The last major nation that's fighting for freedom is here. We need to win this fight. And we will win this fight. Because we're just about to come into our major assignment as a nation. His opposition, the enemy's opposition, is actually becoming the birth pangs of us emerging into our true identity. 
We're called to take the gospel of the kingdom to nations. You know, I've heard, I've heard preachers talk, well, you know, the Bible's translated into almost every tribe, and so it won't be long until Jesus comes back. I'm like, that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say the Bible will be translated into every language. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be taken to all the nations. Which, which gospel is that? The gospel of salvation? No. It's the gospel that takes the message and the culture of the kingdom of God to every tribe on the planet. That's an apostolic assignment. I'm going to close with this. Revelation 12.1 Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. I wonder who that is. That's the church. With the moon under her feet. And on her head, a garland of 12 stars. When we are clothed with the glory of the sun, then the moon, the power that rules the night, will be under our feet, where it belongs. And, and, and we will carry apostolic authority with the crown of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. That's going on now. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Feels like that's what's going on now, doesn't it? God's trying to birth something. The enemy's trying to devour it. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. What God is birthing now is going to rule the nations. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now you can interpret that any way you want to, and I'm not here to accuse you of being wrong, but I'm telling you what it means, what it means to me. It means what God is birthing now is going to rule from heaven to earth. We're going to see things from God's pers- from the perspective of the throne of God, and we're going to rule accordingly. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Many of you know, have sensed that there's a difference in the church right now. There's, there's a church that's trying to kind of stand or cover. And there's a church that's rising up with an unprecedented level of authority and power. That's because of what God is birthing. That's not because anybody was able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's because God is birthing something now that's going to rule the nations. And we get to be a part of that. And this school's going to be a part of that. And there's a network that's 
that's wanting to be birthed out of here that's going to be a part of that. And I'm excited to be a part of that and to have had a little, little role to play in it. And, uh, and I'm excited about the sons and daughters that God's raising up in this place that are becoming mighty warriors that know the dominion that, you, that you've been given over the enemy and know that we don't have to take a back seat to what he's doing because we get to sit with Jesus on his throne and rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's our inheritance. We're called to take the gospel of the kingdom to nations. Before we have communion, I would just like, I would like all of you that really identify with that assignment to stand. And I want to pray over you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Father, we're, we're blessed with your presence. We're blessed that you have not abandoned us. You've not forsaken us. You haven't left, left us weak and helpless. You've stirred our hearts. You've poured out your presence in, upon us, in us. And you've been waking up the warrior heart of your people. There's something in us that refuses to bow down to the enemy as he tries to steamroll the church right now and steamroll the nation. There's something in us that's not okay with that. And it's of you. It's your heart. It's your spirit. It's your anointing of fire and power that you're pouring out on your sons and daughters. So Father, today we're just wanting to surrender to your assignment for each of us. And we're going to say like Jeremiah. Lord, we feel like we're just a kid. But we're ready to do what you've called us to do. We're ready to say with Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm going to choose to fight your battles. And I'm asking you to fight mine. I'm going to give myself to the restoration of your house. I'm going to trust you to build my house. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would take all the mistakes that I've made, all the failures, all the missteps, and you would release healing redemption and you would turn those wounds into scars of authority, stripes of authority 
And Lord, we're asking today that you would help us to get into alignment with heaven's purpose for our life. We're not going to make excuses and say we don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have whatever other resources. We're going to trust you to provide the resources as we respond in obedience to you because that's what you do. So we're asking that you show us where we fit, what our superpower is, where we're called to come alive, where we're called to bring defeat to the power of the enemy, where we're called to advance the kingdom. We're asking you to visit us, make it clear where it is that we're called to function, what our weapons are, what our gifts are, where our anointing is, where our favor is, where our generational treasure is, and our tribal treasure. So that all of those things can awaken and come alive and powerful to their fullest potential. And we can be the most productive that we can be for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for what you're birthing in our nation. And right now we bless our nation. We bless our president. We bless the people of this land. And we say your best days are still ahead of you. It's not over. It's getting ready to start. Father, would you open up fountains and wells of healing, of salvation, of deliverance all across this land? And would you raise up a generation of world changers, Lord? Bring them forth from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. And let this be a season of harvest unlike any that we've ever seen before. Lord, right now we're asking every one of us for our tribe. We're asking for a river of life to flow through our tribe in Jesus' name. And that you would give us eyes to see what you want to do. And ears to hear what your plan is. And what our purpose is in that. And help us to get connected and get aligned. Lord, we're sorry for, when, for wherever we've made it all about us. And what we feel and what we like and what we want to have. Forgive us, Lord. And let us lift up our eyes to the fields. And recognize that we have a role to play. And as we do, you're going to take care of our stuff. Because you always do take care of your house. And we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name. Amen.